going to continue a series called Truth Over Trends, and I thought today, being, it would be very appropriate today on the 4th of July to be able to ask this important question, especially as believers, because this is a question that is trending a lot in our culture. It's trending, uh, it's been for a little bit. Some of you may have heard of it, some of you may have not, but now you will. And so on the 4th of July today, I thought it would be great for us to pause and ask this question, is patriotism a problem? So we're going to look at today. Is patriotism a problem? Now, I say that because the term that has been trending a lot over the last year is something called Christian nationalism. Online, can I see? Give me a thumbs up if like I've heard of it. Thumbs down if you haven't. Uh, hey, you guys got thumbs here, hopefully. I'm sorry if I didn't. But uh, if you do, you know, can you, yes or no, have you heard of that? Yes or no, Christian nationalism, have you heard of that? Yes or no? Look, about half and half. Look, y'all live in the same house. And like some, one of y'all knew it and one of y'all didn't, right? Now, this is an important term. Christian nationalism is an important term because it is trending. It is something that our culture is discussing and talking about. And, what, and this is why I asked that question, is patriotism a problem? Because more and more in our culture, more and more in the news, they're saying it is. And they're associating patriotism with Christian nationalism. And notice I said the two things. Christian nationalism is this merging of the Christian faith with this hyper love of Americanism, all right? And so normally those who are attributed to, called, labeled Christian nationalists are, uh, say, Trump supporters, Republicans, conservatives, people like that, uh, just Christians, anybody that if you wave a flag on the 4th of July, I mean, literally, it is a large group of people that are being casted as this very thing. And so now there is one thing about that, and this is why I know, you know, could this be problematic? Is it? Is it not? I'm wearing an American shirt right now. Is it? You know, and so with that, I, I wanted just to focus on this because there's one thing that's okay. See, in the heart of something that is Christian nationalism, the, the, the heart is, there's a heart for the nation. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's very biblical. We are called as believers to be able to have a heart for the nation that we reside in. In fact, God's word even says that where you live, your residence, your address, your citizenship is not an accident. It's actually been determined by God. That you are right now in the place that you are because God has orchestrated things so that you would have the greatest opportunity to be able to know him. That's crazy just to process that, but we're going to move on. And so there's okay to have a heart for the nation, but where the, let's say those that are Christian, not true Christian nationalists, where they go too far is that they get this hyper love where the heart for their nation becomes too much and they become dismissive of other nations. I know we know of that, right? It's one thing for us to say, hey, you know, USA, number one, USA, but then we kind of be all like, you know, dismissive of other countries. There's some people that are like that. And there's, and there is a line where you can appreciate where you can go from appreciation into adoration. And that's not a good thing. There are people that I do know that worship the founding fathers as if they were the apostles themselves. They look to the constitution and the declaration of independence like if it was, you know, God written and things like that. Like if it was equal on par to the Bible. And there aren't people that are like that. There aren't. And so there's a, there's a lot of people out there for everything, right? But so but there is a line though. There is a line. There is a line. See, I can go and appreciate our nation for what it is. I can appreciate the fact that the genius of what is the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and that the fact that the Bible was the number one influence of both of those things. But that's, that's a topic for another day. But it's one thing to go to appreciate and then go to adoration. Yes, but let me just kind of say this because, again, I love you guys. And notice, some of you guys know, some of you guys don't. 
And as a pastor, my biggest heart is that you understand how to process the world as you live in it. So when you hear these terms, when you hear these terms, you know how to process this. Now, most that criticize Christian nationalists or paint that picture of extremist groups or things like that, even, I'm gonna be real, they wouldn't lump somebody like me into that for some, you know, just because. Those who are critics of that tend to be proponents of Christian socialism. And that is, it has its own, that's its whole thing altogether. And again, the same thing, there's something that I understand. If you associate with that, connect with that, there's something true that you are agreeing with. Because normally socialists have this heart for the nations, right? That's technically it. They have a heart for the nations. And I want you guys to know as believers, so should we. That is a very biblical thing. That not only should we have a heart for our nation in which we reside, but we should have a heart for the nations, that's a good thing, that we should have a heart for the marginalized and those that are left behind, all those that need a little bit more. We should. That's an okay thing. But in the same way that you have one extreme goes too far, this extreme goes too far, and they go and become, because they have a heart for the nations, they tend to despise their own nation. They despise. Where the other one dismisses other nations, this one despises their own nation being America itself. And they do so, and with this focus of, they, 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 instead of looking to God to solve all things and determine all things, they go and replace God with government to, de, to define all things and to determine all things. Now, one of those is a good thing. And notice the key thing that they both have in common. You got the word Christian with it. And so this is honestly, I'm going to tell you, this is something of the enemy himself to, you know, characterize whether Christians on both sides Labeling that so it should be problematic. This is why the world always says, see, Christianity, religion is the problem that we have. Because look at these guys, look at these things. Now, I want you to know, listen, there is a place for patriotism. There is a place for activism. But if your identity is not grounded in Christ, all of your good deeds are gonna fail and your heart is gonna be left unfulfilled. And so there's a place for those things. And we're going to look at that right now. In fact, this was what Paul was trying to communicate to this church in Philippi about that very same thing that we can get a lot from today. In fact, we even sang about it a second ago. And so before we look at the chapter, let me just give you one quick thing. So Philippi is a city and it was, this is where we get the book of the Philippians. And so this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi and he's trying to communicate something to them. It's a very short book, guys. I guarantee you, I, and I guarantee you, I challenge you to go read it. And it's a really cool, very short. And Philippians is just one big thank you letter. That's what it is. It's a big thank you letter because this church was super cool with Paul helping him out in his moment of need. And he wanted to write a thank you letter to them. And so joy is the theme of Philippians. And it's all about the perspective of joy. And he's writing that thanking them for all that they've done and helping them to remember and to keep things focused. Now, also what's interesting about that perspective of joy is that Paul, as he wrote this letter, my guy is in prison. I want you to process this. He is in prison writing a thank you letter. He has so, I mean, his connection and what he has experienced with God is so powerful that even in chains, he has a smile on his face. That is something amazing there. And Paul leans into this element of how should Christians live in a culture? And, and Paul has a lot to say because see, Paul not only was a Jew and he would describe himself in the book of Philippians, he described himself as a Jew like no other. I mean, this guy, if you're talking about a nationalist, man, this guy was the Jew of all Jews. And so he knows what that's like, but he was also a Roman citizen. 
And so this dual perspective that he had in this encounter is helping him to, well, he wants to help those. Because see, though the church in Philippi was actually the first church in Europe to ever receive the gospel. It's pretty cool. And this, is, and this was amazing. Within 20 years of Jesus' resurrection, the gospel is already in Europe and a church has been established. That is the Philippian church. And it's to that church that Paul says the following. And we're gonna read right now chapter one, verse 27 and 30. And then we're gonna skip to chapter three. We're gonna kind of give you a really short synopsis of this whole book here, ready? So let's look at the first one. We're gonna put it on the screen, those who do online and those that don't have it here so you're not sure where to find it. Philippians 1 17, no, uh, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. We're gonna read it now. It says, just this one thing, just this one thing he says. If you got this, uh, get this one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing what? Firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf that not only for you to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now I hear that you have. So notice there is a struggle going on in, in that, this heart that he has. He wants to help them to process. And so did you guys catch it? He said, listen, I want to thank you for all that you've done, this and that. But listen, if, if there's one thing that I would want to help you, one thing that I want to tell you is to live as citizens of what? What did he say? Heaven. We sang that in song number one today, that we are citizens of heaven. And it says, remember this thing, that you are a citizen of what? Heaven. Now he's telling this to a city that is a very patriotic city. Philippi was not only in Europe, but it was part of the Roman Empire, and it was a very patriotic city. It was a prominent city for Rome. And these guys, they, they were born and bred to live for the glory of Rome. I, I can't do that. I don't have that Russell Crowe gladiator voice to be able to fill that right and do it right. But that, that's, what, that's what they did. And so this would be, Philippi is like, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced or come from one of those just small towns here in America that just bleed and ooze red, white, and blue. I know some of y'all seen some of those things. That is Philippi, that patriotic city. And he's saying, guys, if there's one thing, one thing that I want you guys to understand is live as citizens of heaven. See, he's using a term that he already, that they're associating, they're connecting with because all they've grown up and all they've known is to live, is to live as citizens of what? Rome. Citizens of Rome that we live for this, for the glory of Rome and for Caesar. This is what we're used to. He says, no, if there's one thing I could share with you is live as citizens of heaven. And then he goes, he kind of breaks it down. I love the way uh, David Jeremiah breaks these down. He, he kind of gives these four C's in this little chapter, in these little verses that we read. He says, the way that we live a life worthy of the gospel, to live a life worthy of the gospel as citizens of heaven, we do so in our conduct, our consistency, our cooperation, and our courage. So our conduct, he kind of talked about it there. If you're going to live as a citizen of heaven, it should reflect in what you do, in our actions, in our conduct, that when people see you and they interact with you, they already know. 
I know we've had this, like if you've ever interacted with somebody, right, from another country, maybe it's their accent or maybe it's their mannerisms, right? I'm like, oh, I know who you are. You've seen it in movies, right? They always portray the Americans as that rude guy. I'm like, oh, city American, right? They always do that in the movies. You can tell by the conduct of the person in the movie, he's an American, right? Whatever, that's lame. But the same should be true of us, that when people, you know, interact with us and they encounter our conduct, that they should be able to see Jesus in the way that we live, in the way we, we think, in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, our conduct. We reflect, we live a life worthy of the gospel through our conduct. We also live it through consistent character. That's one of the things he was talking about. Hey, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not with you, that you are consistent in who you are, that you're not playing games. You show up on Sunday and you got your face on, right? You're a saint on Sunday, right? And you righteous on Sunday, but you ratchet the rest of the week. No, no, not like that. Like, no, being consistent, being consistent in that way. This is how we live a life worthy of the gospel, in our conduct, in our character, in our cooperation. Notice he says, I pray that you may be standing firm in one accord. He is talking about the church, that this is not a solo mission. This is us together building relationships, encouraging one another, standing firm in this way, that we are not holding opinions of each other and keeping it silent because, you know, we're we're not holding those things. We are not, you know, talking about each other. No, we're serving one another. Like, we are not just being critical of. No, we are being caring. And sometimes, to be the most loving and caring thing to do is to tell somebody the truth, even if they're in the wrong or if you're in the wrong, both. That is the most loving thing. We should be and fight for that one accord that we are all together in this. As citizens of heaven, we live a life worthy of the gospel through our cooperation. And finally, our courage. Did you notice he says, the struggle that I had, I see that you have now. And this is one I tell you, guys, get ready. But it's a good thing, our courage. To be willing to stand up against anything and anyone is to live anything that's contrary to the gospel, that we live that life worthy of the gospel by our courage to stand. Now he's telling this to Philippians, to Romans, who they're realizing were also Christians. And the more now that they're living for Christ, they're realizing the very country that they loved is coming after them. The very country that they love, the culture that they used to enjoy and live in is now counter to what God has done in them because of their encounter. And they don't know how to process that. And Paul knows, I know, I know. I am a citizen of Rome and I am falsely imprisoned by Rome, about to meet Caesar himself. I know what it's like. I know what that's like. And so this is important for us to be able to be willing to stand firm against our culture. Even if it's, you know, we're supposed to have a heart for our nation, right? What if our nation has gone dark? And it's between our nation, it's between our our, our country and our king. Which one is it going to be? It's the king. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. It's okay. I know you're trying to wrestle with this and process and unlearn this, but it is okay. I pray that you may have courage to be able to do the right thing. Do you guys know that when we celebrate the 4th of July, right? Do you guys know that the founders didn't just get together one day? I was like, you know what? I'm bored. You know what we should do? Let's just start a country. You know, it just happened like over some beers in a pub somewhere, right? Overnight. This was not the case. In fact, these you would see, and I've read their documentations and I would have read their conversations. They did not want to break away 
from England. They didn't want to for generations, not just years, for generations. They were trying to reform England. There was a group of people, of many of them Christians, who saw how dark their king and their country had become. And for generations, all the way through the Charters of Liberties of 1100, you heard me right, 600 years, there were people that were trying over and over again to be able to help and call a dark, corrupt nation back to God. And so they would have that. And later it would go dark. And then they would have things like the Magna Carta and all these other things. These were multiple attempts. The, the Declaration of Independence was the final one that in a train of literally actions that they were trying to, I mean, they would stand up against, you guys know one of the biggest things that was that, that caused them to be like, you know what, we're done, was over slavery. Do you guys know that in America, the founders actually abolished slavery before 1776? I'm not lying. Do you know they did that? And they did it in certain states. It was abolished, but the king of England said, no, American colonies are English, are English territory. I don't care that you have created a law to abolish slavery. You are English subjects. Back on. That happened multiple times. And this is the train of events. And here is a bunch of, again, a bunch of Christians, many of them Christians. And they said, you know what? To be able to stand for what is right, we have to stand against the very country that we love. Because what matters is more is our king, not our country. That's, and so that's a hard thing. And that's something for us as well as we look here is more and more this country that we love is going dark. It, this, this country that we love, a growing element of it is being very counter to the very gospel that we love, the very gospel that we are calling that nation back to. But if push, push come to shove, we need to remember we are not just American citizens. We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And we need to be able to have that courage to be able to stand for what is right. Even if it means standing against something that we love and cherish. That's important. And so he goes and he gives this example, live as citizens of heaven. And then he gives an example, not a negative example, not as citizens of earth. And he kind of shows us, so we're going to look at this next section, chapter three. Let's skip over a couple pages. Well, really one page if you have it. We're going to read chapter three, 17 and 19. It says, live as citizens of heaven, not as citizens of earth. He look at this perspective he's trying to get them to see. Let's look at 17 and 19. He says this, therefore, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us. For I have often told you, and now saying again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Look at this. This is what it's like to live, not as a citizen of heaven, but as a citizen of earth. He's saying there, no, listen, imitate me. Look, to, look, you have a good example in me. And then he was said, and then you have others. Pay attention to that, but be careful because there are those. There are those that you need to be cautious of. The way that they're thinking, living, and acting, it is, that is not. I want you to know me, who I am, so you can tell the difference when you see those that live a different way. And so, guys, this is important. I don't know if you know this, but I'm gonna, you're going to know now. Part of being a believer in Jesus, all right, it is not only taught, but caught. This is why a church is so important. Following Christ and getting to know him is both taught and caught. Meaning, you, yeah, you can learn it on your own, but there's just something about when you do it in community. So let me just give you the secret right here, secret sauce. If you want to grow in your faith, 
Find somebody who is further along than you and hang out with them. Be their friend. You got me? You, you see that? If you want to know, man, I want to grow in my prayer walk, find somebody who you know throws down in that prayer closet and go hang out with them. Learn from them. It, it's, it's not just taught. It's also caught. This is why it's so important. Surround yourself with those kind of people that are better than you. You know, I always try to be, and this is good advice, never try to be the, the, you know, the best person in the room. Find yourself, find others there so you can constantly learn and grow. That's an important thing. That's what he's trying to tell them to do. Why? Because there are those of you there are those in your midst that live as enemies of the cross. In chapter 2, verse 15, chapter 3 and 2, he uses the same description and he calls these kind of people, wicked, crooked generation, he calls them dogs and evildoers. Enemies of the cross, what is the deal? Because it is in their examples and the way they're thinking and living that's going to lead them away from true joy that they can find in Jesus do you guys catch, notice he said that their God is that, well, first of all, he said their end is what? Their end is destruction. Their end is destruction because they live as enemies of the cross. Which, let me just, let's define that. What does that mean? To live as an enemy of the cross means to be an enemy of God. An enemy of the cross is someone who literally believes in that the, either the cross of Jesus is not enough. That's one. There are people both then and now that still believe that. You guys know that they say the cross is not enough. You need to believe in Jesus to be saved and you need to believe and behave in order to be saved. Did you catch that? Believe and behave in order to be saved. For, for them, it was believe and behave like a Jew and you will be saved. All right, look, um, thank you, Jesus, that he didn't make that. You know, I love my bacon. I love wearing mixed clothing or whatever, you know, different fabrics. I like that. All right, some of y'all get the joke, whatever. It's a, that's a corny Old Testament joke. Leave me alone. But all that stuff is important, right? So that's nice. But you don't have to believe and behave like a Jew in order to be saved. And so there's some that would talk like that. And they would say, it's not enough. Jesus is not enough. Believing is not enough. There's something that you must do. Listen, if you could behave in order to be saved, Jesus wouldn't have given his life. The reason why he did what he did on the cross is because there was nothing else that we could do. And, and post, nothing else. Both then and now, that's what it means to be an enemy of the cross, to be against, to not appreciate or understand Christ and receive all that he has given us. And notice he says, why is there end destruction? Destruction meaning judgment. This is not going to end well for these people. And he's saying it with a broken heart. It's not going to end well. Why? Because their God is not God. Their God is their stomach. You catch that? Their God is their stomach. He's literally saying these guys, all they do is worship what they want. That's what it comes from. This is something where for us as believers, we ought to control our appetite. Well, for these people that were in this mix, their appetites controlled them. There was also people then, and by the way, things don't change. There were people back then, and there's still people today that preach the same thing. That the highest ideal of life is to enjoy life. That's what you should do. The way that you live your life is to enjoy it, maximize it, get everything that you can get out of it. That is how you can, and some would even say, the best way to worship God with your life is to enjoy everything. In fact, God made it, right? God made it. God did it. It's okay. Enjoy it all to the max, to the fullest. And so then there were those who literally would live in that way. They would, they would overindulge in all things. And they would, you know, they would have some people say, look, live your life. Do what you want to do. God's going to forgive you anyways, right? It's okay. Just go for it and do it. Listen, no, no. If you live like that, your God is not God. Your God is your stomach too. 
He says, your end is destruction. You live for yourself. You live for yourself. You live to be able to satisfy whatever thing you want. Understand if your God is your stomach, you are a slave to yourself. You are a slave to yourself. You are a slave to your feelings. You're a slave to your emotions, your desires, your wants. You are not in control and it is not going to end well and go well for you. It says their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. This one's, this one, man, it must have, it directs me thinking about it. Meaning, you know what he says there? He says the things that they, they should be ashamed of, they're proud of. That's what he's saying. The things that they should be ashamed of, they're proud of it. They are proud that they are redefining what it means, what, what the gospel means. They are proud that they're reinterpreting the scriptures in a different way. They are proud of living for themselves. They are proud of being enemies of the cross. They are being prideful of something that they should be ashamed of. That's a dangerous place to be, let me tell you. To be so numb that you can do things and not feel shame, that's dangerous. Well, you can do something, say something, and it's, you just wake up the next day like if it was nothing. Shh, no shame. That's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. And that's where he's saying, this is why he says, my heart is in tears. I'm trying to talk to you about them, not so you can hate them, but to help them. And so that you don't follow in that example. And so his, his, you know, his heart is breaking because they're focused. He said, they are focused on earthly things. Paul later in, in this chapter, he says, whatever is good, pleasing, perfect thing. When it comes to God, think of those things. Like our perspective, our focus should not be so much focus here with our nose down, but with our nose up looking at him. This is what matters that we are not living as enemies of the cross but that we are championing the cross. Why would we be, why would we hate and, and push away the very thing that is the one, the thing that we want the most, that can give us life and that can save us and satisfy us. So he warns and tells them, listen, live as citizens, not of Rome. That is not your priority anymore. Live as citizens of heaven, not as citizens of this earth. Why? Because it's better this way. Look at the next verse. Let's read chapter three, verse 20, and then finish it in chapter four, verse one. When he says, these are people that are living as enemies of the cross. They're, they're earthly or their focus is on earthly things. Verse 20 says, but notice he repeats the same phrase. He repeats the same phrase. What does he say? But our citizenship is where? In heaven. He repeated it. I, I read it in chapter one. He says, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. Chapter three, he's getting to the point. So remember, live as citizens of heaven. What does he say? We are eagerly, we eagerly wait for a savior from where? From where? We eagerly wait for a savior from there, not here. So he's showing them and saying, listen, our savior is not in this world. It is not here. We have a savior from there, from heaven. It is God, it is outside of us. Listen, our world and our nation and every nation in the world would be different if we stopped looking at politicians as saviors and rather treating them in, as servants. The whole world would be different if we stopped electing politicians that wanted to be our saviors and started electing politicians that wanted to be servants. Game over, checkmate. All right, easy. And here he's saying, no, we wait for a savior, not from here. We wait for a savior from there. And who is that savior? He says it, Jesus 
Christ, we wait for him. He is coming back. He's going to not just finish what he started. He's going to put all things brand new. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeliness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Chapter four, verse one, he says, so then, so then dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy, you are my crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I mean, you can see, bro, my, my guy's laying it on thick. You know, you can see where his love is, where he is laying it on thick. He's like, stand firm in the Lord. I know you, you, are, you, know, you know, the culture's coming at you. Everything is coming at you. I get it. But stand firm in the Lord, remembering that your citizenship is in heaven that there is something that Christ is doing and will continue to do and that we can have that confidence in him. It is better to live this way because our savior is not from this world. Our savior is over there and is a better savior. And what Jesus is coming to do and is doing in this earth is better. It is better to live as citizens of heaven, expanding and living for the kingdom of God in all that we do, shining that light, expanding that light in everywhere. It is better to live in that way than to live for some Thing less than because see heaven and what is everything that Jesus is that's eternal this world is temporary this world is temporary every nation in the world has an end date at some point it will but the kingdom of Christ is eternal and so he wants them to understand it's one thing to say listen your patriotism and even your activism all that has a place but it cannot be first. It cannot be first. Christ must be first. Because it is in when we live that, that way as citizens of heaven, we will be better citizens. It's in that way. If you want to impact the nation for the better, you know, listen, both sides, they have their solutions, right? But there is, neither one can claim 100% total accuracy. But as Christians, we can. When we live as citizens of heaven, we, are, we can be here in this earth. We can be a shining light that can shape nations it has happened and can happen still but we got to make sure our priorities are first this is why i love george washington's uh one of my favorite quotes from him i'm gonna read it to you it's not on the screen i'm gonna read it to you i think he understood the principle that paul was trying to tell the philippians because look what he says it says while we are zealously and that's not a word we use all the time you know passionately performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers we certainly ought not to be inattentive we shouldn't ignore the higher duties of religion to the distinguished character of patriot it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of christian i love that that's the that's you know you know america's daddy right there right for george washington first president he said hey you it's got its place patriotism has its place and it's second what matters more is not that, listen, I mean, we're in America. Those of us, I know we have some that are watching outside, but, you know, what matters, we are not Americans first. No, as believers in Christ Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the living God first. We're Christians first. That's what matters more. It has its place. All of this has its place, and it's second to the kingdom. Our country, we should value it. We should live, you know, live to be lights in it. But what matters most is the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of Christ. That is what we should cherish. And so I want to ask you the same, you know, I'm going to turn the challenge into a question. 
I'm only talking to Christians now, so, because this is something that we should be able to answer in a yes and a no. It's not gonna be perfect, but let me ask you a question. Are you living a life worthy of the gospel? That's what Paul says he should, we should do. Are you living a life? Are you living as citizens of heaven? Meaning, are, are you conscious of that? Are you conscious of the fact that we will all stand before God and give an account to our lives? Are you conscious of that? Living as citizens of heaven, living a life worthy of the gospel. Now, if you're me, I'm sure all of you, and if you're sincere, I'm sure you would all say no. Because maybe we have, you know, oh, there's none of us here that can claim to be perfect. I'll be the first one. I'll say, am I living a life perfectly worthy of the gospel? I'm not gonna be perfect. It's like America's ideals, right? Which there's so much about what is the Declaration of Independence. They knew what they were doing. They were starting something. They weren't finishing something. They knew that things were gonna be left undone and, they, and oh, in their documentation over and over again, they would say, we pray that the next generation may take the next step and then the next generation may take the next step because the work is huge. Not one nation, not one generation can get the job done, not even the current one. There will always be something left undone because that is how deep the wounds of sin are in this world. But we do our part. And so to be that Christian, listen, none of us are going to reach perfection. It, Paul said it. We will be perfectly transformed when he comes back. When that event happens, it's going to be done. But in the meantime, as we stand firm, God can change us. God can mold us. And to grow into living that life worthy of the gospel. And what does that mean? How does that look like? It means that we are looking and growing and maturing. And we are allowing the truth of God to define us more than the trends of this earth. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. It means that we cherish the cross more importantly than even what we cherish and appreciate our country. It means that we live to live a life worthy of the gospel is learning to live more by the grace of God, not by the hand of government. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. It means to be evangelists before activists. I'm gonna be real with you here because you know, talking about trends, that's what's trendy. You know what's in right now? You know what's hot right now? Hot, right? It's, it's really hot right now to be an activist. It just is, okay? That's a hot thing. If you're an activist, you're an you know, activist athlete, activist this, activist that. It's really hot right now to be an activist. That's like the cool thing. It's like the, it's the trend. That's what's in. Let me tell you, you want something to live for? You want a cause? You want a cause to live for? You want to make a difference? Be an evangelist. That is the greatest cause that is exists. It's not about just saving the whales and saving the nation and saving the planet. All good things. All good things. It's not about saving those things, which we could do. But you actually, in Christ, you can save souls from their eternal separation and enslavement in hell. That's better. That's better. As we do the other, we don't neglect the most important thing is that you want to save something? Man, God can use you to save souls. You want to be able to, to set up and be able to restart and be able to craft a nation or do, you know, you, you want a revolution? Oh man, follow Jesus. You want to see, you want a revolution, not against a country, not against America, but against the, the forces and the kingdom of darkness and the devil itself. That is who we are called to revolt against. That ultimately, number one, if you want to be something, we ought to be as Christians, evangelists first. Before activists, it has its place, but evangelism is better. To live a life worthy of the gospel is to live for others, not for yourself. So Paul was trying to get them to see, trying to tap in an understanding. This is what you have now. 
You had a country, you had an empire, the greatest empire in the world at that time was Rome. You were proud of that. Well, now you have a kingdom that will never see an end. A kingdom that has been expanded, a kingdom that has not lost a battle. You have a kingdom and a king that is greater than anything this world has to offer. So don't settle. Appreciate, love, serve, but we don't lose sight of what matters most because it is in that that this is impacted. It matters that we do that. We live a life worthy of the gospel. And why should we do that? Why should we live a life worthy of the gospel? Because Jesus is worthy of it. He is worthy of it. See, the gospel is the news that we've been singing about all day. It's why we took communion today. The gospel is good news. That's all that means. That there is a God that Jesus came into this world and that he gave his life so that we could have life and hope that we no longer have before death had the final say, before darkness had the final say. But now it no longer does. It no longer does because of Jesus and what he's done and, and what he's, who he is and what we are becoming in him. That is what should matter more. We live a life worthy of the gospel because it is, he is worthy. He is worthy and he is worth it. There is nothing else better. There is nothing else better. And our appreciation of who Jesus is when we celebrate the cross, when we take communion, when we sing, when we open up his word, when we remember Jesus, that appreciation should bleed more and more into our actions. Knowing that God, a God like him could love me and give and do all of this that he, that he has done this for me and for all of us so that we may come to know him that appreciation for that great God should bleed into every single one of our actions it should and especially on a day like today it should lead us to be able to cherish the things that God has given us even this very country we cherish it but to live a life worthy of the gospel is also means we challenge being bold enough being being humble enough to cherish but bold enough to challenge bold enough to challenge anything, anyone that would stand up against the kingdom of God and the truth. Like, why do we do this? Like, especially, you know, let's say for some people that get criticized and the Christian nationalists or whatever, they, they focus on this. Listen, we don't preserve certain principles because they're American. We preserve it because it's true. If it is rooted in the gospel, that's what matters. Anything that's not, I don't care if it's American, it's out the window, okay? We preserve things because they're true. And so to live a life worthy of the gospel means we ought to cherish what we have. We cherish our king. We cherish our kingdom. We cherish the place that he's given us. But we must also be bold enough to challenge and stand courageous knowing that our God, he is with us. And so we should be able to stand for what we believe, especially in a nation where it's going dark over the edge. We must stand true, stand, you know, be a light. I love what Spurgeon says it. If people are, I'm going to use my own remix of what Spurgeon says. If people are going to go to hell, may they go over our bodies, literally trying to grab their ankles, telling them, no, there's another way. You feel me on that? If they're going to go to hell, then I'm going to make it hard for them. They're going to have to go over my dead body, grabbing their ankle. If they want to go that way, that is what we should be. Even if our nation is continuing to go one way, we do it out of love. We say, we speak, we, we stand for what we believe out of love. And let me challenge you right here, but we also serve those we disagree with. Stand for what you believe and serve those who disagree with you. 
That's living a life worthy of the gospel. Loving our enemies, those who don't like or hate, that is what we are called to live for. There is nothing more, more worth it because that is Christ again. He's worthy of it. We live that life worthy of the gospel because he is worthy. And so I want to challenge you on today being the 4th, 4th of July, as we proudly wave our flags and say, God bless America on a day like today, let us appreciate as Christians the privilege that we have to carry our cross and to tell and boldly declare, America, bless your God. America, bless God. America, turn back to God. America, look, this is your God. America, turn American, saying there is a better way, something better than this earth, something better than this world, a cause greater than anything you can ever think of or imagine. America, bless your God. Show and see all that he has done and given for you as individuals. That should be our call. Yes, it should be our prayer. Lord, I pray that you may bless America, but may, can we be bold enough to also say, America, bless your God. Turn to him. Call on the name, the only name in which we can have life. Listen, and we do. And I want to challenge you for those of you that never have done that. I challenge you to do that continually every single day. If you're listening to me live and on a replay later, turn to Jesus because when you do, you will experience true life and liberty and joy that you can't find anywhere else when you make him Lord of your life. So I want to challenge you. Let's all pray. I want you just to take a minute to respond now to God. So let's all bow our heads in prayer. I want you all just online as well. I want you to reflect on what God is moving and saying in your life. Lord, I want to thank you right now in this moment. God, I want to take a minute and we're going to bless your name. So church online and in here, I want you guys to just, not just silently, man, just even open up your mouth and just begin to bless God right now. Take a minute and bless him. Thank him for whether whatever comes to your mind right now. Bless bless him for, maybe it's your health. Bless him for his hand in your life. Let's just not do, do that, you know, silently. I want to challenge you online, do it as well. Let us verbally thank God, whatever comes to your mind, the people that are there, for the, what he's done for you, forgiving you. All right, all those things. Take a minute as I'm praying, just keep blessing his name. Keep blessing the name of Jesus and all that he has done. Lord, I want to thank you and we bless your name this morning for your generosity, for your love, for your kindness, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. God, for we thank you. I thank you for this country and the purpose that you've had for this country. God, I, I thank you that you have an equal purpose in, in so many other places as well. And so we appreciate that, Lord, but we thank you because you have brought us to this place, brought us to this moment that we may be lights in this dark place, that we may be a light in this nation, that we may point this country to you, our King. And so we thank you, Lord, for your mighty hand. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your love that you, no matter who we are, we come to you. You have not rejected us. You accept us. We thank you, God, for being kind when we have been disrespectful and dismissive of you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord. And God, my prayer for today for your church is that we may learn to be more conscious be more heavenly mindset. Have that heavenly mindset yet be of earthly good. May we have that heaven in our hearts but live that and, and, and live and reflect that here in this world, pointing people to you. Help us to live a life worthy of the gospel. I, I pray if you're a believer in Christ, won't you make that your prayer today? Say, Lord, I want to live a greater life worthy of the gospel. 
I want to live a life that reflects you, appreciates you more and more. So ask yourself, is it your conduct that needs to change? If it is, say, Lord, it's my, it's my thinking. I need you. I, I still need some work in my thinking. I still need some work in my actions. I still need my work in my feelings. Is it your character? Lord, help me to be more consistent when I'm with my Christian brothers and sisters and when I'm not. Help me to be more consistent. Maybe it's a cooperation. Lord, if I am being dismissive, if I am being divisive inside of my church, forgive me. Forgive me. Help me, Lord, to be forgiving. Help me to be loving. Help me to be accepting. Help me, Lord, to reach out and not draw battle lines. Maybe it's in your courage. Maybe some of you lack the courage to be able to speak and share the gospel to others or you're afraid to live that life. If it's you right now, say, Lord, I repent of my cowardice. Give me courage. Give me boldness to be able to live for you. And I want to ask some of you, there are some of you that need to be very bold right now and God's going to help you right now to do it. And it's being bold enough to declare. Can you be courageous enough to declare and call on the name of Jesus right now? That's what you need to do. You want life? You want liberty? You want joy? It's all found in Jesus. And so I want to challenge you right now online or everybody here as well. Just call on his name and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you. Holy Spirit, I know that you are drawing all men to you right now. And I pray, guys, as we continue, as we're wrapping up, just keep blessing him. Keep thanking him for his life. He knows, he knows and has seen your inconsistent conduct. He knows and has seen your inconsistent character and your consistency and how you've been operating or not operating inside the church and your cowardice. He sees it all. Thank God that his grace and kindness abounds and that his love is greater than our sin. That his love is greater than our sin. Lord, Holy Spirit, may we gain a greater appreciation of your love and may that appreciation grow and impact and influence every single one of our actions. God, only it is in you that we can live. It is only in you that we can do and move forward. And God, I pray and ask that you make us lights, moving lights in a dark world, reflecting, Lord Jesus, those who are still in the shadow of death, that they may see the path to peace that leads straight to you. God, I thank you for what you have done, what you have showing us, what you are moving in us to do. And I pray that we may be bold enough to humbly surrender and allow you to do it. So may the heaven, may my heavenly father, may the Lord your God bless and keep you right now. May you see May you see that your hope resides not in your conduct, but in the conduct of Christ, which is perfect. May you see that your hope resides and comes from the character of Christ who was perfect, that oversees yours. May you see, may you have peace and strength to know that it is he, the Lord God, that wants to work in cooperation with you, that he is active and present, and that he has done everything that in him you can have life. May you be blessed right now in the name of Jesus to have the strength to know that your God is greater than anything in this world. May you have eyes to see that you are a citizen of heaven and that comes with rights and privileges, the rights to be called a son and daughter of God and the privilege to have the Holy Spirit residing and moving in power in your life. And may you have peace to know, may you have peace to know that these promises and this kingdom will see no end. We bless you and we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray and your name believe.
Amen.